How can we help people realize their optimal potential? What is neurodiversity? And how can we set up the workplace in a way that allows people to fully explore their superpowers? These topics and more I explore today with Shaloni Winston. Shaloni is the founder of the Transitions Organization. Transitions helps teens and young adults prepare for life, school, and work. They also help the workplace prepare for engaging workforces like this. The topics we explore today, while they might be about people with autism and learning differences, I think they apply to all humans. We all are different. We perform differently. We perform differently in different environments. So I'm very pleased to welcome Shaloni Winston. You're listening to C-Suite Blueprint, the show for C-Suite leaders. Here we discuss no BS approaches to organizational readiness and digital transformation. Let's start the show. Shaloni, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, George. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about what I'm so passionate about. Well, you have such a great mission. We're really drawn to it. This phrase, neurodiversity, is all of a sudden becoming more of a topic that you're hearing about. And, and in one way, I feel like that's, that's a great thing. Uh, in, but there's also part of me that's maybe frustrated by that, because why is it taken this long? You know, and I know that you've been working in this field for quite a while. So I'd, I'd love to maybe start off with a little bit of a, you know, a history of how you've gotten into this space and what your organization is doing. I'm going to start there. My educational background is in clinical psychology. So from there, I started working 30 years ago with people with developmental disabilities, intellectual disabilities. Neurodiversity was not a term at that time. And then back in 2007, my daughter was 14, and she brought home an egg that she had to take care of as a science experiment. And that egg had been given a diagnosis by her teacher. At that point, she comes to me and she says, Mom, I have Turner syndrome. That was the diagnosis that the egg had been given. And she shows it to me and I didn't really pay attention to mm -hmm. make it make a long story short. Next, the following year, because she wasn't growing, we took her to an endocrinologist and a simple blood test later, she was diagnosed with Turner syndrome. It's a chromosomal disorder that affects the growth and development of women. Numerous trips started to the doctors, and then one diagnosis, there's medical issues, but one diagnosis was particularly devastating. And it was by a neuropsychologist of something called nonverbal learning disability. Mm. So when you think about neuro, neurodiversity, it's neurodiversity refers to anyone that has a brain-related condition, developmental disorder condition. In our field, we mostly focus on people with autism spectrum disorder, uh, ADHD, some kind of learning difference. Okay? So nonverbal learning disability was one of them. Mm. And the neuropsychologist explained to me is, imagine you're in a foreign country and everything is in a different language. Oh, wow. You are bright. You don't know the language. You're bright. And you'll eventually figure it out. But it's going to be hard on you. It's going to be different on you. So neurodiversity, people with some type of neurodiversity, they are constantly trying to operate in a world that wasn't designed for them, that wasn't designed with the way they think, they see, they operate. I love to talk about the... Um 
you know, when people are faced with those challenges, they, the way that they overcome them, I feel like they build so many superpowers along the way to be, to be able to, you know, I mean, operating in a, it's like operating in a world with heavier gravity. You know, when you come back now, all of a sudden you can jump higher and you can, you can run faster. Has that been your experience as well as just seeing those, those little superpowers build? My experience in this is it's, they build it, but they also have to be taught it Mm. to, to unlock their potential. So again, coming back to my daughter, I watched her one day. You know, while you hear all of these things, you read about all of these things, obviously I educated myself, but I saw her, the pizza man came and she's carrying the pizza box inside and she's carrying it sideways, swinging her arms and has no, I'm like, Priya, hold it up. And she has no recognition that the cheese is melting and falling and all of that. And that's when it clicked for me. It clicked how she learns differently. Nobody ever teaches you how to carry a pizza box. Mm. We just pick it up. Well, Priya, my daughter, doesn't. She has to be taught that. Okay. So, you know, I then became her coach. And I supported her and helped her learn differently. She graduated from school, fifth in her class, with a presidential scholarship to college, et cetera, et cetera. But then we started thinking, life without mom, what do we do, right? So I looked for programs for her to learn independent living skills and be able to live on her own and be successful in her own. So I did, um, we found this program, very elite, exclusive program, it was in San Francisco. We flew her out there. Two weeks later, it was just a two-week camp. Two weeks later, I went to pick her up. And honestly, I'm embarrassed to share this, but when I went and I saw her, I was so disappointed. She mm-hmm. looked, I've never thought of her as somebody with a disability. She looked more like a disabled person. Mm. And what stood out to me is, yes, they taught her some independent living skills, but they created a more of a dependency Interesting. And, and a complacency, and it did not unlock her superpowers. And mm-hmm. that's when I vowed that we're not going to do this. We're going to have a different alternative. And I was at that time um, CEO of... Uh, an organization called the Arc Lexington that's been supporting people with disabilities, intellectual and cognitive disabilities, for the last 60 years. And I had an amazing team. So we took that strength we had and created a program called Transitions. And what Transitions, everything we do at Transitions, while we learn new things, and we, but it's based on that experience I had that there's, I am not going to create something that makes somebody more dependent. I'm going to, we're going to help that person, each person unlock their superpowers. Yeah, empower them, give them some agency. Yeah. And what we do in that is that we don't tell them what to do. You know, we help them focus on their strengths and figure out 
how to problem solve, how to take their strengths and make them superpowers and bring out um, the, because of their learning difference, those strengths are hidden. It's their learning differences. It's their, you know, the, uh, that they're not able to adapt to our world is what keeps their strengths hidden. So we help them unlock that. What I love to talk about as part of our conversation, too, is how can we accommodate things better? Because, um, you know, if I do go to travel to a different land, what's, what's in a different language, what's going to help me is if people are pointing to things and telling me what they're called, right? Or they're, they're showing me through. And we work with so many organizations, so many companies. They spend so much money running these design workshops. And, and we help facilitate some of these workshops. Yeah. And, and they're all about how can we get people thinking differently? How can we think about problems differently? And you would think if you're doing that, then why not just generally make your environment more accommodating to, to the, the ways that different people function and, and how they exist in the world? Um, and I'd love us to get some 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 topics out there that will help those organizations be more accommodating to, to folks on the spectrum or other just different learning disabilities. So that is what we focus on. The group that we work with is from 16 to 27, and we support them to be successful in college, careers, and life. Okay? So based on that experience, we help them think for themselves and problem solve. So first, I want to give kudos to all of the employers that are even thinking about this topic and are opening their environments to be more inclusive. So that's, the world needs that, okay? Mm. So what can they do? Often they think that it's a lot that they have to do. It's these big things. It doesn't have to be, okay? What it has to, so to me, what you would do is start by listening, okay? Just because you have one neurodiverse person, you only know that one person, Mm -hmm. right? They're not the same. Just because everybody thinks it's the same, it's not the same. So I would start with simply listening. I would start with talking to your entire employee group, not just the people that have neurodiversity. Sharing your commitment and showing, uh, talking to them about how they have found people with neurodiversity to excel at things and how they benefit the company. And if somebody has something that they want to talk to them about, then create a welcoming environment so that the person can come and talk to you about what they might need. Mm -hmm. That actually creates a benefit to your entire workforce because People have differences in many different areas, not just neurodiversity. And it creates an openness that you could come and talk about anything and we will work with you, right? Yeah, I mean, those are just great things to do in general. I have I found it, I don't know if amusing is the right word, but I've also seen a lot more articles in the past several years just talking yeah. about how valuable introverts are. Almost as if up until recently, we... They, like introverts were useless is almost how some of these topics are coming yeah. across now. And, you know, especially working in software, you know, I've worked with plenty of people that are introverts, people are on the spectrum, and they're some of the most brilliant people that I've, and talented people I've worked with. And um, it's, um, it's like, shouldn't we just be doing this stuff anyways for, for everyone? Everyone, um, right. And it's frustrating. Right. 
And you know, the example of introverts, they, it applies the issues that an introvert has is that they're not going to often speak up. Right. Mm. So same thing may apply to people with neurodiversity. They're trying to figure out this world by themselves. So you want to ask them, you want to talk to them. It may often require very small accommodations, very small adjustments, such as, you know, um, listening to music while working with headphones. Right. So that they're not distracted and they're able to not get overstimulated with everything. The ability to record a meeting. A little extra time that is possible for projects, okay? Um, a little administrative organization that support that you can provide them. It's not that they can't do their job. It's not they can do their job. They can do often do their work at a higher level of strength and higher level of expertise than others may be able to. But they just need some slight accommodations. Even to think about the entire population, try, one thing an employer can do is try to give direction or in different ways. So Mm. you could do verbally, you could have a visual, you could have a kinesthetic hands-on approach. Now, I remember one of the first jobs my daughter had, she was a lifeguard. And she was actually fired from that. It was such a big thing for her. She loved it. She was great as a lifeguard. She passed all of that. But she took too long to change lane lines. Mm. Well, nobody teaches you how to change lane lines, right? So it was these unspoken, unwritten things that most people with neurodiversity are are trying to navigate themselves now. That's probably the biggest thing. If you do your communication, if you open your channel of communication and you make it okay to be different, again, not just people with neurodiversity, with anyone, right? And you're clear in your instructions. Oftentimes, it's very helpful okay, to that person. The other thing, this is a generality, but people with neurodiversity have a hard time with the environment and the hustle and bustle of a culture that's very fast-paced. So you can look at simple things in the environment. You can look at the lights. You can look at the stimulation. Is there a space? You know, we have companies have that bullpen type of uh, office space. That's not the perfect space for somebody with neurodiversity. And uh, is there some place that they can escape to for a little bit? Okay. One example we have seen, one difficulty is, remember the whole foreign country thing? Mm-hmm. So when somebody is trying to constantly, they're working harder than another person. So they need time and space to chill. Back to the introvert thing is they need more of that recharge time, right? Right. And, and yeah, I feel like the offices, there's... While there's been a lot of, of, of improvements in, in workspaces and office spaces, I feel like there's still this trap where you fall into a one-size-fits-all. You know, even yeah. as I saw all of these organizations move to an office, you know, open office and collaboration space, it's like, yes, that's great that you have that, but not everyone can work in this often, you know, on this open office space, collaboration space. You know, I, even myself, I know I, I need to put on some noise-canceling headphones and dim the lights and, and, you know, really focus on something rather than that. And 
And even look at what's happened over the past couple of years with the pandemic, right? All of a sudden, people are realizing, oh, some people work better at home. Some people do not work better at home whatsoever. And, you know, how can we um, really embrace all these different ways of of people working? So in, in addition to the passion and the programs that we have, we employ 1,600 employees. So we're a large employer and we're a top workplace. Okay. So through the pandemic, we have learned that there are many people that actually do better and are more productive in a remote work environment. So that is something to consider. Now, again, I've not just because one person who's neurodiverse needs that doesn't mean that everybody needs that. Right. Mm -hmm. So any suggestion, any comments I'm making, you have to the bottom line of it is you have to talk to the person. You have to make it open for them to and comfortable for them to come to you and ask you, you know, sometimes you don't realize there's a strong smell. There's a color that is uh, distracting to the person. Clutter. Clutter is a big thing that we find that uh, is distracting to us. These are simple fixes. These are not something that an employer has to change and make it very special for that one person. Right? And these are things that apply to other people as well. It's very easy to make assumptions that people, you know, about things. You know, the, the you know, the pizza box example, you, you would just assume someone knows how to hold a pizza box or you assume someone knows how to change the lanes. But, you know, if I think about any great manager, or any great leader, like you're always trying to find... What assumptions am I making that I shouldn't be making to get this person to excel in their role? So again, like so much of this just sounds like it's just, it, it's being a good human <laughs> and treating it people is. like a good human, you know? It is. You, employers are not trying to be not good humans. Mm-hmm. They simply are not focused on it or thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So it's just about more about awareness The one thing we have seen consistently very common with people with neurodiversity is social navigation is very difficult for them, typically. It's almost like an introvert, right? Mm. Um, But they don't often present as an introvert. It may not be that, but it's just that the social side, and when I say social, there's also, there's the friends and that kind of social, but there's an office social and an office etiquette. So we have consistently found that having a mentor, a buddy, to help with those unwritten rules has been extremely helpful. They, having somebody that kind of, you know, it's that concept of a big brother, big sister kind of a thing, somebody who looks out for you and mm-hmm. helps you assimilate, that is, has been tremendously helpful. We've had young adults who are extremely bright, extremely talented. They're not, we see these things that it's hard for them to go into a break room. It's hard for them to know what to do when you're eating lunch. It's hard Mm. for them to know how to leave their workspace and go to the bathroom. Now, because they've had in their mind that they're supposed to work. Um, So having a social mentor, I wouldn't call it a social mentor, but creating some connection with each person, that I think is very helpful. And for the non-neurodiverse population, we have found that people just want to help and people want to help others succeed. So it actually gives them a passion and a mission. 
That makes a lot of sense. And and it's it probably makes it that much more important to write down the things that are typically not written down. You know, your Patrick Lencioni talks about highly functioning teams and and you know, you want to you want to openly say what are the norms of this team, and th- those are generally unsaid. But it creates such a safer environment once you do. And it might even si- seem silly to some people to write down some of these in, these norms. But um, and maybe to your point earlier, maybe it's not just writing it down, but it's recording something about them. You know, multiple different ways that someone can absorb that information is just to to be so clear about what your team norms are. You make a great point, and. Patrick Lencioni has been there for years and there's been multitude of companies that follow him and other leaders. So businesses know how to do this. They just mm. haven't applied it to a neurodiverse population. Yeah. It's and what's more valuable that, than, than a, 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 you know, a collection of people that think differently, you know, and, and, and especially in, in a world where resources are getting harder and harder to find, you know, why not open up the net wider and, and really create an environment for them? One of the things we do is develop companies so, so that they would be willing to take in our students as interns and subsequently as employees. And we have been very successful and we have actually heard from companies how it's actually benefited their environment. It isn't about just that one person. They're proud that they're supporting the one person or two people that they hire, but it's actually benefited their entire employee population. So I just give kudos to employers that are open to it. And, um, and at this point, it's a necessity. Mm. It's a necessity because... There are many people out there. Autism is one in 44 now. And many of these folks, they bring skills and traits and knowledge that really benefits the workplace. They bring exceptional talent in areas that a non-neurodiverse person may not have that. There are specific skill sets to it. You know, Students with autism, people with autism, they have, well, I'll give you an example. We had a student we supported in our finance department, and he literally had a hard time walking down the hallway to the office. But we were giving him an internship. He had just graduated from high school, and we had these two complex Excel spreadsheets, and we were looking for the differences between the two. Piece of cake for him. <laughs> Not from a, for any of our other staff who are employed there. Right. Mm-hmm. But yet he could not pick up the phone to call somebody because he's never used a desk phone. Wow. Right. So nobody teaches you that. So it's both ways. They bring talents, those superpowers that you referenced it to be, that really enhances a workplace. You know, I'd love to dovetail on that and maybe have you talk a little bit about a, a success story or two. So... There's one young man that comes to my mind. I met him seven years ago, and he was in college, and he was failing college. And he went, his apartment, he was trying to live on his own, and he himself described it years later that it looked like a bomb had gone off in his apartment. I got to meet him because I was in some meetings with him and he would just sit there with his head down, take notes, and never said a word. Mm. He became part of our program and three years ago he graduated. 
He has gotten his associate's degree on the dean's list. He has enrolled in a bachelor's degree program. Through the internships, he's, um, he wants to be in environmental con conservation. So he's been able to, through his internships, get experience in that, and his internship site has hired him after that's the so internship. Great. And that's another, offering internships is a good way of introducing an employer to this type of a workforce. And then mm -hmm. you have time to um, get to know the person, and then um, you can offer them a position. So he took a break, he did his, uh, you know, he was having a part-time job because he was at a point, I need a car, I need this. Lives on his own, does well, and now he just enrolled in his um, bachelor's program to at SUNY Cobleskill in agriculture. Now, That's fantastic. Uh, we have multiple stories like that. Okay? But talking about him, I want to add one more point to what employers can do. Typically, when you interview someone, what you're looking for, a neurodiverse person may not have. Hmm. Not in terms of skills and strengths, but the interview process. A lot of times they don't make eye contact. They're looking down. They're, a lot of times they're just not spontaneous in their answers and they have anxiety. So I would ask employers to give a longer interview version, okay, maybe over a week, have them come in and do something in your environment and don't just make a snap judgment on those traditional skill things that we look for, like eye contact. That's another reason why the internships are so great is, is you can get real just time and they can start to feel comfortable and you can start to see, um, you know, the real value that they bring. You know, and that is just one story. I remember, I don't remember the numbers, but it was very impressive. What, what was the numbers, the, the number of, of, of young adults that you've helped or some of the statistics that you had shared with me last time we talked? So we have currently full-time students enrolled are 60. Over the seven years of our operation, we have served over 300 students between our preparation camps and then our full-time uh, or part-time students. Our, one of our success stories is not individual, but it's about a business. We have a business here um, that we reached out to. They had never supported anyone with neurodiversity. I'm sure they have, they just don't know, right? Mm -hmm. So we specifically reached out and they were very reluctant um, because, not because they didn't want to, but because they just felt inadequate. So we went in and we met with the entire management team and provided some training and sensitivity and said that we will be there right beside them anytime they needed it. They, we were able to offer through them three internships and uh, two of them have turned into jobs. And the CEO of the company came to me and said that he wants to commit to a 25% diverse workforce. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. yeah. That to me is just absolutely amazing. And he talked about how dramatically it's impacted their culture. Yeah, because no CEO is going to do that just for charity. You know, no, they're, they're he's not. doing that, or he or her is doing that because of the actual impact, right? Yeah. And our students are not looking for charity. They don't want mm -hmm. a job that you're giving them because, you know, you feel bad. Right, they yeah. don't want that. Um, I go back to my daughter. You know, she absolutely doesn't want anything 
that would be connected to me because she will she thinks that is charity or it's connections yeah. now so where can young adults and parents go go for help for our program the easiest way is to go to our website transitionsusa.org okay um, that's the easiest way. We offer tours all the time. We will talk to you, take you through. You can meet with our students, our staff, um, anytime. And, um, you know, the contact information is on our website. And should, uh, and I assume employers should go to the same place to see how they can get involved and how they can, they can Absolutely. be more accommodating. Yeah. Absolutely. If it interests somebody, there's a form to reach out to us. And I actually personally see all of those contacts. And if it's an employer, you know, it's a different type of support that we provide and we can make that happen. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, as a leader, you want to, you want to treat your employees more like humans. You want to find out what their superpower is. You know, everyone, I heard it early in my career, how important it is to get the right people in the right seats, but you don't realize it until you're many years in how impactful that is and how much harder it is than it sounds. And, you know, what you're doing, I think, is just such a great kind of extension and follow through of that same concept of of right seats, right people get their superpowers and everyone just it's a better impact and culture to be in something that enables that. What's unique about us in terms of this type of program is that we are also a large employer in our area. We're the largest employer with 1600 employees and with our top place workplace award. We also got a standout award called Meaningful. And what that represents is that we had among the top workplaces, we had the highest score on the question that my job helps me feel I'm doing something meaningful. So that's the kind of culture that we create amongst our employees. So that's what we can help other employers create by adding a diverse workforce. That's huge. You can't ask for too much more than that. So Shaloni, before we go, I'd love, you know, you've been through a lot. You've done a lot. Uh, I'm curious what the best advice is that you've ever received. So what the best advice is my, was my daughter's neuropsychologist. And he said to me is that, Just look at her as a person and give her all the tools she needs to support her. Mm. Don't micromanage it. Just give her the tools she needs and she will shine. That's great. And I've seen that repeatedly with my daughter and I've seen that repeatedly with the students we support. So it's about tools and supports and let them think independently and problem solve. That's great. It, it's also one of those things that's probably a heck of a lot harder than it sounds um, to, to actually put into place. We can help. Yeah. Well, Shaloni, thank you so much for being here. I, I love everything you're doing, and uh, I appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much, George. Just give me the opportunity to share. You've been listening to C-Suite Blueprint. If you like what you've heard, be sure to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you never miss a new episode. And while you're there, we'd love it if you could leave a rating. Just give us however many stars you think we deserve. Until next time.